This is Up The Creek, the definitive Jonathan Creek podcast with your hosts, my good friend Daniel Krupa and me, Gav Murphy. Today, we're dealing with a murder committed on All Hallows' Eve by a skeleton who disappears into thin air. So like with every episode of this podcast, we look at episodes of Jonathan Creek via the effect, the method, and the reveal. Daniel, what is the effect in Dance Macabre? Pulp horror writer Emma Lazarus is murdered on Halloween. Her killer dematerializes from within a solid stone garage. They do say garage a lot in this. Garage mid. Garage mid. <laughs> this kicks off, man. Series two, they're into a groove. They... It was a runaway success, Jonathan Creek. Million, like nine million people regularly tuning in for an episode. Nine million people. Just wouldn't happen anymore, Gav. You couldn't dream of that now. Like, it's absolutely wild. Um, I saw a thing the other day where Trump was uh, was bragging that one of his um, speeches got three million views. That's like three million views. Mate, Dance Macabre was nine million views. Are you out of your, out of your mind? That's a third of House of Monkeys. <laughs> um, but this one also, it kicks off from the start. Like, we get that little funny uh, thing of Maddie's, like proper comedy, waking herself up. Don't you dare go back to sleep, you lazy sow. It's eight o'clock, now come on. You've got three seconds before the saucepan lids. And also, I was like, she, she really struggles to get up at 8 a.m., <laughs> I thought she was meant to get up at six or something like that. It's like eight o'clock in the morning. That is the time you get up. She's got all these alarms. It's like, um, it reminded me a bit of Wallace and Gromit. But it, it kicks off from the start. We get a knock at the door. Peter Davison, the second Doctor Who we've had in Jonathan Creek. Um, he was the fifth Doctor. I'm not saying that he was the second Doctor. I'm not referring to the episode. I know. I, I, it's a good job we don't have an email address. I, I know, mate. Um, but... <laughs> It, like, and he just comes in straight away and it's it feels like with this as well they kind of settle into a rhythm that they they really lean into how silly and funny it is like I feel like this one is a little bit over the top but in a really lovely way in a really lovely way oh absolutely I mean you know that from the soundtrack alone <laughs> it's got so much organ and theremin in it's pulsating with theremin. They don't mind it. They don't. They don't mind going for it in this. I, I, I kind of like it. Um, for, but yeah. the first episode of season two, mm. Maddie's got a house now. Yeah, time jump. She's not in that flat anymore. But maybe she's had. I think she's had an advance on the book. Yes. So maybe she spent it all on a deposit for a mortgage, maybe or something like that. That's what I think. Yeah, I, I do think it's like a bit of a time jump going on as well. But it's a bloody locked room mystery the best ones the absolute best ones um it's kind of brilliant i think the midday papers will be full of it what they won't explain what no one can explain is how the killer evaporated into thin air right in front of everyone's eyes some miracles you don't want to believe in emma lazarus is this really trashy almost garth merengue style novelist her books include umbilicant yeah. And Ouija World. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea. I like the sound of umbilicant. It's a fetus strangles a woman using her own umbilical cord. Brilliant. Uh, so she's a really trashy novelist and she's killed in this really overtop ghoulish way on Halloween mm. where she's shot 
and then her daughter is taken into a garage by the murderer who's dressed as a skeleton. It's good. I think it's the, it's one of the episodes as well that lots of people remember. Like when you talk about uh, Jonathan Creek, they remember the skeleton going into the garage because a lot of people forget how it's done. I do think the skeleton outfit is a bit weird considering she goes as Bride of Frankenstein. Her husband goes, oh, shall I be Frankenstein? No, you'd be skeleton. Yeah. Also, she's put a lot of effort into hers. He's just bought that from a shop. If you were Emma Lazarus, like horror queen, and you wouldn't allow your husband, I don't think, to be buying his Halloween costume. Off the peg. Yeah, I don't think so. That's that's my big, big plot hole on this. Big plot hole. But the method. So Emma Lazarus has actually planned all of it. Um, a gloriously, tastelessly gothic death, they call it, um, with the help of her husband and daughter. And obviously the killer didn't disappear. Her daughter uh, ends up dressed as the skeleton and she carries a foam dummy um, of herself into the garage, where, which is then cut up and hidden in the empty paint cans. It's It's one of those ones where you just go... Yeah, when you find out, it's obviously ridiculous. Well, Jonathan gets it pretty quickly. Yeah, he really does. He's barely there. Well, I was going to say, this episode's weird because he does it all remotely. Like, Jonathan's busy with the show again. Yeah. And this is the first episode that we see Alan Klaus for multiple episodes. And he's been, he's changed face. He's he's basically regenerated like the Doctor. <laughs> and it's come back as an even bigger perv. I do re- I do generally really, really like it. So the, the clues that he gets are the paint cans, which Maddie fall through, falls through a bucket at one point and knocks them all over the floor and ends up there all completely empty, save for a few rubber crumbs. <laughs> but you never see them. Like, it's a bit cheeky that they keep those rubber cr- crumbs hidden from you as a viewer. Yeah. Even when Jonathan opens up, you don't get to see them. Yes. And we also, like, there's a lot of... There's a lot of added stuff in this episode because if you because you not only get the storyline with Mr. Snetton's wart, which is another big clue where Lorna basically tries to say, <laughs> tries to get herself out of it and be like, oh, see that old man that just died? Yeah, he gave um, the skeleton and everybody else a perfect alibi because he saw him jumping over the thing. He is dead now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Lorna still doesn't explain how it disappeared from within the garage. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> um, uh, but he actually had a wart on his vocal cords. So there's no way that he could have said that. Um, so we have that whole thing happening. We also have a, a really crappy B storyline with a lady who Adam Klaus has ended up going home with and now is blackmailing him for a part in the show. Um, so we have that storyline going on. But then we also have then this really odd uh, Gary Lobo character. You mean Budget Ian Malcolm? Yeah, he's from Coronation Street. He's like big character in Coronation Street. Well, they luckily they got him a year before he went big on Coronation Street. Right, otherwise. okay, yeah. You're not getting Jimmy. <laughs> Who deals in uh, past lives and had been helping Emma Lazarus write a book about her past lives. And he makes a really interesting thing where, I mean, this is the thing, we're meant to kind of doubt him as a character because of the way that he's presented about his uh, sort of deprivation tanks and things like that. And he 
he says the last time that he spoke to Emma Lazarus, she felt he felt like she knew her days were numbered. Um, so that's another clue that we've got going on. Now you're going to think it really uh, odd that I say this. Say what? I've got the weirdest feeling. She didn't expect to be alive in a week's time. Spooky stuff. Because I think John sees through that not as some kind of weird mystical intuition. The fact that she's got a terminal disease is more likely why someone knows their days are numbered. Yes, exactly. I don't really understand Emma Lazarus's whole worldview, though. Because mm. she's really dismissive of um, the vicar, Stephen Claythorne's religion. Yeah. And she sounds like she's quite a materialist. Yeah. And then you find out she's into all this other stuff, which is still an afterlife by just by another name. Yeah. And also weirdly dismissive of uh, not only that, but weirdly dismissive of actual medical help for a condition. He's like, no. Do you know what's good for this? Skeleton bullets. That's what's good for this. Yeah. Well, usually I'd, I'd suggest chemotherapy. <laughs> no. Skeleton bullets are nothing else. Thank you. I am Emma Lazarus. <laughs> the umbilical queen. But then we also have this fucking wild bit that happens where her body ends up decapitated and no one can find the head. It's really grisly the way it's done for Saturday night show. You feel, you see a full decapitated head. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. But also, I kind of like this though, because if, you know, in, in past episodes, we've kind of been talking about how the actual mystery isn't sort of meaty enough. There's this embellishment, isn't there? This Usually what we've had in this embellishment is like duff clues, clues that Jonathan has kind of latched onto, has given the episode 10 minutes, mm. but we kind of know it's just a little bit rubbish. Or a gorilla committing suicide. <laughs> it's a head being cut off. <laughs> it's also really good though, because it does function as a red herring ultimately. Yeah. Because you think the killer's still at large or something, I guess, it ties in with the whole horror shtick of the episode. Yeah. Is there something ritualistic going on? Or What's really good is in other episodes, we've had this sort of phantom person that Jonathan kind of refers to. And he's like, oh, this, this third character that a lot of the time ends up not existing. Whereas this guy very much exists and is on his way back to wherever with a head. Just take your luggage for takeoff. Uh, your luggage. The epiphany in this episode is that one almost comes where he hears about the paintings um, because he repeats the paintings on the phone. He's like, paintings, paintings. But then it goes because remember, he hasn't even seen them. But the actual epiphany comes and like the big zoom, the big wide-eyed Jonathan Creek comes where he's in the old slapper's uh, flat and she says to her uh, son, Go get your shoes. And he goes, shoes. <laughs> shoes. That's absolutely right. Where did they go to? <gasps> what happened to this? It's so stupid. <laughs> because that does that entire storyline exist just so he can go somewhere and hear about it. But maybe that's actually, I'm thinking that that's ridiculous. Maybe that's kind of brilliant. The way that epiphanies come to him. Yeah, maybe it is. And they get a bunch of other mileage out of it as well, because that whole B plot, that if it serves to func to if it serves to present the epiphany, through it you also get lots of good maddy jealousy. Yeah. So it kind of has a double purpose. It's not completely just a one note thing. Yeah. 
So what is the shoes thing? <laughs> <laughs> the shoes thing is the skeleton costume had boots built into it. So if the person who broke in to murder Emma Lazarus put the skeleton costume on and run away with it, where are the shoes? Do me a favour. I grew out of vanishing skeletons before I was into long trousers. Does it make sense? I want to ask Lorna. Mm. I'm, I should have gone and rewatched this bit again, but this was never the plan. Has she done this in the moment? No, yeah, yeah. She's done it in the moment. So um, Quite ingenious to do that in the moment. Yeah, Drucker fucks it all up. Um, Drucker, the amazing uh, bodyguard. Who seems to hate Emeralds. Yeah. <laughs> I grew up watching him uh, like Willow. He's a big character in Willow. Uh, me and my sister used to watch Willow all the time and he's amazing in that. But yeah, he fucks it all up by shooting the um, tires out on the car because the plan was that she would drive away get rid of the skeleton co- she still has to get rid of the skeleton costume mind um and be found sort of you know by herself in the car for like down the road or something but because he comes back in and he shoots the tires out she is then left with this in the garage she won't she does that remarkably like she figures that things are to do that very quickly yeah she actually does it very quickly. I know we don't know how long there's this standoff outside with the police, but it's probably not a quick job doing that. I I think this one, although I accept it and I really, really like it, this one is 100% you've got to chalk down to crap police work. Because if you... I think this is too much, even for the crap police <laughs> that we've seen. I love that Jonathan, when he's explaining, going... You know, figuring people are hardly going to open a painting to look for a murderer. <laughs> I would. No, not to look for the murderer, but just for evidence. Clues. If the only thing that you've got is a garage, an empty garage, and paint tins, I'm checking those fucking paint tins. You, you would just check. I think the rule is just check everything. Yeah. He's like, oh, they're hardly going to look at the paint tins. Like, of course they would. I would. Stephen, do you remember when you found that clue and it was in the last place you looked? Oh, yeah. It was good, wasn't it? Like, they even carry on that sort of deceit of like, oh, you're hardly going to look at some paintings. Because Maddie doesn't check, think to check the paintings. She does it accidentally because she hits the thing. So it's almost like, oh, she, she stumbles upon that because there was no way she was ever going to check these paintings also i love has a garage like my mum's garage is full of shit yeah like, there's nothing else in there it's not like a big job yeah because that's the thing there's nothing else in there but which suggests that they're you know quite tidy people maybe but also they've got empty paint tins in there so that doesn't make any sense why would they have those she was really lucky there was enough paint tins to hold it all it's really really strange and there was a saw because there wasn't a lot of other tools yeah um i think the other thing is when they open up that door, how much are you shitting it that they're going to look in those paintings? <laughs> That's the thing. It really, it really hangs on that. Yeah, and I think the other thing is, and I, I guess I can explain this way because I guess Emma Lazarus wouldn't mind too much. Still, quite a painful way for her to die. Just being shot in the stomach was it? But I, I guess for her, it's more about the legacy, like the draw and the drama, and of the it drama all. of it all. Yeah, like killed by a skeleton. She's been murdered on Halloween rather than gone out in a hospital in pain. And I kind of, I kind of do really, really like that. And I like the idea of like euthanasia and stuff for, but like euthanasia as theatre. As theatre, what if it like became legal? People would be dying in the most macabre and elaborate ways. Oh, that's the thing. Everyone should design the death that most suits them. Yes, 
That's good. I like that. Uh, you can have a death party. But I think like like I got no problem with the idea, but. As they say, like a million times, like unfortunately, it left the police with. Well, this is the thing. Maddie says, unfortunately, it left us with a mystery that couldn't be solved. The police f- feels like they've given up day one. <laughs> All that you have to do, as soon as you go in there, do just your just the basics of your job, and you go open one painting. Is it really str- like I know they have to get rid of the police? so that Maddie and Jonathan aren't working with the police because then someone's got to go to jail. Because also we've had so many different coppers in season one. I wonder if they realise or we just can't keep co- casting these policemen just to dismiss them as idiots. <laughs> it's kind of really strange though. Like, I, I'd like to know, if you were a police person listening to this and you can let us know, I'd like to know if there was a mystery like that, would the police be gone by the morning? And then just be like, we're not doing it. Nah, fuck this. I can't work it out. I'm done. I don't know. <laughs> They're like, oh, yeah, it's abs- don't worry. Everyone's fine. Lorna's fine. It's like, Lazarus has still been shot. Yeah, but, you know, it's, it's Lorna's fine. <laughs> also, winding back, you would expect them to investigate just your bog standard murder. Yeah. <laughs> Something genuinely supernatural has just occurred. Someone has disappeared. Uh, it's outside of my jurisdiction, mate. Sorry. <laughs> That's the thing, because Drucker messes everything up, I do really, really like that. But I really like him as a character as well, like that his sick breed sick, uh, Miss Magellan. That I, I say that all the time. <laughs> sick breed sick. <laughs> you want my honest opinion? What turns a man's brain like that? If we're talking who's to blame for the murder of Emma Lazarus? Sick breed sick, Miss Magellan. And the sooner we face up to that, the sooner we can pull our society out of the sewer. So we've had the effect, the method, and the reveal, but there are certain elements which make up every single episode of Jonathan Creek, starting with the thing that's dated the most. Now for this, I've got people looking into reincarnation and past lives. Because I feel like at the time, that was a really huge thing. Like my mum was into it. Uh, I remember my mum getting... Uh, you know those magazines where, like, when we were kids, you get, like, parts of a dinosaur uh, over every week, and then you build the dinosaur over four years. First issue was £2.99, every subsequent issue, £25. Exactly, yeah. Um, and then you end up with uh, a dinosaur figure that costs four grand uh, four years later. My mum had a Past Lives and Reincarnation magazine like that, which she had like all these issues hanging about the house. Like I feel like it was a really, really big thing. Do you get a different life with each ep- issue? <laughs> Maybe she wanted a different life. <laughs> <laughs> Cav, guess why I'm this week? <laughs> um, I feel like that's maybe the thing that's dated the most. It's odd that he exists just to give us the storyline that she was expecting her death. And we, you you also get like the wildest, one of the wildest stupid comedy scenes ever where Maddie has been in the deprivation tank and then she comes out and says- Oh man. In front of a waiter, I feel like a poached octopus. And then he brings a poached octopus to a plate. That's not how restaurants work. That is, no one's ever given their- uh, <laughs> What the hell is this? Your order, madam. The poached octopus. Poached octopus. Have you gone stark, st- 
staring bonkers. If there's been a mistake, my sincerest apologies. It's no problem. I'll have it returned and you can place another order. No, all right. Go on, then. Might as well leave it now that it's here, I suppose. Also, what did she say when they came and took their order? Because he's ordered something. Yeah, well, I think that's the thing. Because it doesn't make any sense. Because it only makes sense if you think that that waiter thought she was giving him his order straight away. And then if he just brought her a poached octopus, that it kind of would have made more sense. But they bring Lobo <laughs> a starter. And he hasn't. What, what, what happened then? That's really odd. I, do, I don't know if like stuff like this, we're going to have to see how it pans out. But we could need a new element. Which is it's, yeah. the, it's the one foot in the grave moment. I think we I think we should you know because that's straight a one foot in the grave moment. There's that. a there's loads now like in House of Monkeys where the electric chair gets blasted through the house. <laughs> <laughs> are we are we inducting this as a new category potentially new element? I feel like we should. I f yeah, because there's definitely one in the next episode as well. Um, I think we should the one foot in the grave moment. We've <laughs> something, something in a Toffee Creek episode that you still wouldn't believe. Yeah. <laughs> the I don't believe it. <laughs> so so I don't I don't believe it for this is post octopus. Cause that is ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. Um what have you got for things that stated the most? Being able to take a decapitated head on as hand luggage. That's not happening, isn't it? Can't do that anymore. I get like uh, I get shit trying to take a Nintendo Switch on as hand luggage. You're not taking a full decapitated head on. A soggy cardboard box with tape on it. They're looking into that. Um, I don't know. This could be British thing, but also um, with regards to Adam, kiss and tell stories. Yes. They used to be quite big in the 90s. I remember them being all over the time, like celebrities being exposed in tabloids. Tabloids come up in Jonathan Creek all the time, I've realised. Yeah, I think it was quite a big thing at the time, wasn't it? Because... Well, they just, they, Diana just died as well. Yeah. I think, like, tr selling your story to the papers, is that that is a really, really good one. I remember, uh, like, I remember being on holiday. Maybe it's, it would probably be, like, six years ago now. And I was on holiday with a friend, and she... Well, we all saw uh, Duncan Bannantyne... <laughs> Um, dragons, dens, and uh, well, just Duncan Bantine, rich man, off his face. He was so drunk. He was falling about the place. We were in Spain and he was falling about the place and he was just giving, uh, just being a nuisance to people. And I, Was he out? <laughs> yeah, he was out. Um, <laughs> and a friend of mine. <laughs> A friend of mine took a video of it and all through the holiday, she was like, I'm going to sell this to the sun. And I was like, "There's you wouldn't be able to. And she's like, I bet I could. I bet I could. I was like, well, let's see how far we can get with this. Just as a fun thing. We're not actually going to sell it, but let's actually see how far we could get with selling this story. And we went through all the rigmarole of the sun. And I think they offered in the end about 120 quid for it. We're like, yeah, all right. I don't want to do that. She was, she, but she thought she was sitting on her retirement fund. Maybe you were in the 90s. Because also, I think in the 90s, it was a shortcut to you becoming famous. Yeah. Because we have Francesca in the first episode, Wrestler's Tomb, is basically doing that as a shortcut to becoming famous. Yeah, she also murdered someone, but yeah. Also, it's really strange in this one, because Klaus seems really, really resistant to it. He says, I got a vocalist with no talent. I heard her sing. She was amazing. Oh, let's get on to that in a second. <laughs> um, okay, so then, what do you have for your most British thing? I've got a transcendental mystic being called Gary. Yes. <laughs> Gary Lobo. I love a Gary and an Alan on Up the Creek. Um, 
Uh, Weetabix? Yeah. Not only Weetabix, but having Weetabix for your tea. Tea? Who eats Weetabix for their tea? Very effective. You should try it. Oh, yes. I'll bet you're little Mr Regular, aren't you? Calling something tea. That doesn't happen anywhere, does it? Other than Britain, but also, because this is a big thing. It's, this is one of this is one of those things that now and again gets put on Twitter. Like, what do you call what do you call something if you're eating at seven o'clock in the morning? What do you call it? If you're eating at twelve, what do you call it? What do you if you're eating at uh, five? What do you call it? Because ours would all, mine was always breakfast, dinner, yeah. tea, yeah. dinner time. Um, whereas dinner now, I think Northwest is quite similar to Wales in that regard. Whereas now dinner, I never use as it would be lunchtime. Like if you said lunchtime at my school in in South Wales in the valleys, I would have got beat up. I, my mum still thinks it's a marker of me becoming posh. <laughs> Every time you say it, she like winces. Yeah, she's like <laughs> no son of mine. It is really strange though. But um, we actually got a tweet the other day uh, to our to our work account um, say calling you posh. What? Someone was calling you posh, and I was like, he's not posh at all. Who said that? I don't know. What? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> we, I'll I'll find the I'll find the tweet. But yeah, they called you posh. Yeah. And I was like, I don't think he's posh. But yeah, that that is that, that is very British. I think not only eating Weetabix but having Weetabix for your tea uh, food wise there's another one there's a half eaten Rocky Biscuit by Maddie's Bed I spotted that yeah <laughs> Rocky Biscuits I feel like are just uh, British I used to love Rocky Biscuits I remember the advert that was really Rocky Robin advert Rocky Robin yeah I'm rocking the treetops and doing the yard you got to admit that I'm so hard I'm Rocky Robin man Rocky Robin my favourite night, but even I have to walk up an appetite. When the rapper's up, I'm a pussy cat. Just wouldn't believe that topper! Rocky Robin. Rocky Robin. The chocker block, man. It's like the ones with caramel in. Oh, yeah. I probably would have eaten one of them while watching Jonathan Creek. Yeah. Caramel, though. If you're having caramel in them, that's posh. Psh. Normal. No, it's fine. Caramel in it. Posh. Having a caramel Rocky for lunch. <laughs> um, calling someone a slapper. That's very British. Can I just say something? That woman is not an old slapper. No. And Jonathan refers to her as an old slapper. She's beautiful. She's really beautiful. And she's got a really good voice. What about... I've got The other one I've got is calling someone stark staring bonkers. Bonkers. That's a very British thing. Maybe it's not another element, but also British terminology. I like, we get a lot of that party last week. Yeah. Um, I put also put vicar jokes. Yeah. I can see that. That's quite a British thing. The other countries don't have vicars and it's like, oh, like vicar innuendo is quite a British comedy thing. Yeah. Well, well, what was, it was a British, maybe it was the big breakfast or something like that. It was like, was Morty Vicar was a big thing um, and a stupid joke. Uh, while I'm in the shower, if you fancy a nibble, be my guest. So, obviously, you know, Jonathan Creek's made in the 90s. Some stuff that was okay then, or maybe not all right then, uh, is definitely not all right now. Um, so, in the that all right uh, element this week, I think calling someone an old slapper. Thought you were never going to shake the old slapper off. I don't think that's all right. Also, Jonathan says it. Yeah, he's changed, man. He's a different person now. 
in this series. I was going to say, in this episode, he feels a bit different. Yeah. He feels more confident and a bit cocky, and he seems quite... Definitely in that first phone call with Maddie, where he wakes up hungover. Yeah, he's really dismissive of the, mi- the mystery. Can a body pass through a solid stone wall? Or are we all losing our minds? Do me a favour. I grew out of vanishing skeletons before I was in the long trousers. He has changed a little bit. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Out on the piss as well with Adam. Yeah, he he has changed a little bit. I've got two other things in that. All right. I think one. Uh, you know, this is you could maybe chalk it up to th- the magic community or something, but because I guess this happens a lot. But Adam dressing up in a beard and a turban to do a magic trick a jewel encrusted turban yeah it's probably not right is there like you've you recently went to a magic convention yeah so a magic convention i found out a couple of years ago they used to have chinese night mm. where all of the asian magicians would perform yes yeah, just that's not right is there it's it's hard because one it's like there is a kind of a school and a tradition of magic here they're adopting quite stereotypical clothing to imply mysticism <laughs> and otherness and ooh, otherness. magical things still happen abroad yeah. <laughs> uh yeah i don't i don't think i don't think that's all right but also uh, definitely not all right maddie stealing a dead woman's last photo is that all right yes definitely not okay that kind of lumps into this is maddie good what are her morals yeah i don't mind her like being a bit like a bulldozer and confident, but mm. that's a bit, that's too much. But we know from previous episodes, some of her practices are a bit more in tune with the tabloids that come up than actual investigative journalism. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, do you have anything for that, all right? No, I just basically just wrote turban in big letters. <laughs> <laughs> all right, then, let's open up the Grot Cabinet. What are, you, what are you putting in the grot cabinet this week? I'll put old Slapper's side boob. Yeah, side boob. On like seven o'clock on Saturday night. But not, you see a nipple. I feel like side boob, you can get away with. That's a full on nipple. That would have done the job when I was that age. Oh, I probably did. Yeah, it did. A hundred percent did. Probably put down my Rocky. I also, I, I really don't understand this whole thing that they have. I think it's maybe Renwick wrote it down on the page. And then they cast a very beautiful woman. Yeah. So it doesn't make sense. Because Adam then says to Jonathan, maybe it's to do because he already has a girlfriend, but he goes, don't judge me too harshly, Jonathan. But that's probably because he has a partner already. Yeah. But I know, I know what you mean though. It just feels like that he's saying, oh my God, it's going to be what is going to be in this bath. And it's a beautiful woman. Yeah. It's almost that trope of waking up the morning after going, oh, full of regret. Yeah. I think that's definitely what they're doing. But it's a beautiful woman with a beautiful voice. Really, really strange. Also, it's kind of odd why she exists in like, uh, like she exists so he can have the the choose epiphany. Also, the portrayal of her that she's just happy for Jonathan to get into the bath with her, no problem, no questions asked. Yeah, it they, they doesn't. There's not a lot of uh, explaining there, is there? But yeah, this is our reintroduction to Adam Klaus actually, who is I think going to permanently stay in the Grot cabinet for future episodes. There's something about me that kind of likes him, but I don't think the character works when it's this guy because he plays it very differently from Anthony Stewart Head in the first episode. He plays it, I you're, I don't think you're meant to like him. Whereas I think Anthony Stewart Head, I think you're meant to think he's a bit of an idiot, but he's still got this charisma about him and there's such something. Whereas this guy, I just don't get it. I don't think there's anything charming about him. 
I think Anthony Stewart Head has charm to him, even when he's being Adam Klaus levels of sleaze. Yeah. There's something about him. And I can imagine him being that magician that Jonathan works for. For sure. I just don't buy this guy as the magician. Also, I hate how boring his house is. Yeah. That's not, shouldn't be a magician's house. It's so sterile and awful. Like all rich people's houses. Yeah, they kind of sex it up in later episodes by bringing a tiger in to live with him. Um, <laughs> but... I don't like his cigar chomping sort of ways either. Big collared shirts. We, we've talked about it a lot. It's like th- when they when they lose Anthony Stewart Head to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is what happened. Yeah, I think the show is worse for it because this, this guy's just not as good. I think what I like in the first season they do that you never see Adam. It's kind of what they were originally going to do with um, the West Wing. The other, gr- <laughs> the other great TV show of my lifetime, yeah. West Wing and Jonathan Creek. That Martin Sheen was just going to be seen, the president before it was Martin Sheen, was just going to be seen going out of scenes when scenes began or coming in at the end of scenes. You should just do that with Adam Klaus. And then when he comes in now as a semi-regular character, I think it's some of my least favourite bits in future episodes. Absolutely. Because they're always, always either not, all right, <laughs> and or just like really, really bad comedy as yeah, well. Really broad, I think that's probably helped, not helped by his awful American accent. To be fair, because that there's no way that's a real American accent, is it? Did Anthony Stewart Head play as American? Yeah, well, he played it as a kind of it was American, but it, yeah, but it wasn't. You couldn't place it anywhere. Whereas this guy's going very for a very, very specific American accent. I think. Yeah, he's just not. He is gonna live in the grot cabinet. Like we might as well just leave Adam <laughs> Klaus in there. <laughs> And we'll see him in future episodes. Yeah, let's shut the grot cabin and then just put a big padlock on the outside All of right. it. See you later, Adam. <laughs> okay, lots of good Jonathan and Maddie romance going on this episode. Most of it centred around the old slapper in the bathtub, which Maddie doesn't like straight away. Maddie, Maddie refers, oh, her lovely naked body. She's so yeah, jealous of Francine. But also when... Maddie first sees Francine in the theatre. You can tell Jonathan's self-conscious about it. He kind of tenses up and then he tries to explain it away. Which is like, don't you remember? You and me in the bath yesterday morning. <laughs> I guess part of that is, it is a really nice scene where he's like, story and a half that. And then he turns around and she's gone. Um, I do really, really like that. But I, I guess part of that is him not wanting to hear to get the wrong idea. I think part of it as well, unfortunately, is because the show has built Maddie up as being someone who really doesn't take that kind of stuff well and overreacts a little bit. And he's probably a little bit afraid she's going to fucking kick off. As a nice <laughs> little illustration of the point you just made some good little character work here when it comes back to Weetabix mm. the fact that he is so regular yeah and it kind of just again underlines that thing of him being order and her being absolute chaos yeah she's not had a poo for four days uh, yeah that whole thing is also really strange as well it's like and it's brought into other episodes where it's almost like Jonathan sees the whole picture with her oh he sees a lot of the picture with her except for the bit that matters and for some reason he, he he latches on to the idea that she hasn't had a poo in so long because he, he can kind of almost tell. He's like, how many days has it been? Because she's so angry that he's so regular. But I think it's a funny little throwaway bit of comedy and back and forth. But it again, it, it crystallizes that thing of him being this ordered person and her being just complete chaos. Yeah. And that's kind of why they're attracted to each other because they both maybe like to be a bit like the other one. Absolutely, yeah. Also, if you want to go for, I mean, we've added a new category this week for the I don't believe it uh, element. But if you're <laughs> someone reading a scary book and shitting themselves. 
Because <laughs> we also get with that as well, and this is something that's going to come up in other Jonathan Creek episodes, that wild f- fox or bird noise, which now becomes like a Jonathan Creek staple. And you hear that all the time now. What is it? I, f- I thought always thought it was a fox, like that. <laughs> Have a word with the doctor who removed his wart. <laughs> could be a fox I could, yeah there used to be a lot of foxes near my old flat in south london it could be yeah. a fox or owl i don't know man in the scene where he walks maddie through how it's done there's an exchange that's quite similar to exchanges that they've had a lot before i feel like it's renwick just really refining the conversation where she says you enjoy treating me like a moron and he says no the bit where you enjoy making me feel like i'm treating you like a moron you're perfectly capable of reasoning it out for yourself. Only you'd stop taking things at face value. And it's really good because they kind of had that conversation several times in the first season. But I think almost through this method, he's trying to talk to her indirectly about the Francine thing. Because he says to her, stop taking things at face value. Mm. I almost think he's trying to go, the Francine thing is not what you think it is. Yeah. Well, uh, it kind of, t- but it also is really interesting because that then ties into the actual case as well. And it's like when he sits her down to go through it all, he says, this is where you and everyone else give up. So it's, you know, the same thing with the Francine was like, you're taking everything at face value and then you give up on actually working out what the real thing could be based upon these rubbish elements that you've been given. Yeah. Um, you just latched onto the immediate explanation. Yeah. yeah I think that's actually... A really good bit of writing. It really is, yeah. <laughs> it's just unfortunately it's hidden in jokes about... About poached octopuses. And shitting yourself because you're reading a scary book and you've just had weird books. <laughs> you see, this is where you and everyone else give up. You're making the big mistake of sticking to what's likely instead of what's logical. There is a lot in this as well. doesn't advance too much, the Jonathan and Maddie relationship, really. You do kind of get a little bit more about how Maddie views men where she... At the right at the very end scene where she goes to speak to Francine and then she comes back and then Francine goes off and, you know, she tells, it's like, Adam's like, what did you say to her? Just like, well, you know, all men are bastards and all different things. Like, that's what I like about her, John. He's such a terrific liar. And then he's got like that little smile, which is not freeze frame, unfortunately. I wish it was. Um, But it kind of shows you that that is actually what Maddie thinks, isn't it? Like, who hurt Maddie? Someone hurt Maddie. Definitely wasn't Trev. Definitely wasn't Trevor. She was hurting him, yeah. But that's the thing. It's like, who hurt her? And now that's why she's in, you know, this kind of odd situation with Jonathan because of other things that have happened to her. And they can't let let themselves go. Sad, isn't it? That's really sad. On the next episode, we meet Norman Sangerston, a man who defies the laws of time in Time Waits for Norman. Up the Creek is produced by RKG. We make videos and podcasts about games, movies, basically anything fun, including 23-year-old BBC shows about a magician's assistant who lives in a windmill. If you'd like to find out more, visit patreon.com forward slash RKG.